Happy New Year and all of that stuff, right? The first Sunday of 2024, and it's made me think over the last couple of weeks how we begin each new year and how we kind of have this outlook and we have hope and we have anticipation. And it made me also kind of look back and I want I want you to try to travel with me. We're getting the DeLorean. We're going to go to the time machine back to the first Sunday in January of 2020. Some of you are getting out of the DeLorean. You're not going back there with me. I want you to imagine with me for just a second that it's not the first Sunday of 2024, but we're the first Sunday of 2020. It's a time before you heard the word unprecedented, right? It's before you heard pandemic. I'm sorry, that hurts trying to get that word out. It's before you knew what it meant to shelter in place or to hoard toilet paper. I mean, this is like way back then. It's when we knew politics was messy and it would really twist people up, but we had no idea what it was going to look like in 2020 and how all of this ugly stuff under the surface that was just sitting there hiding would bubble up under that pressure cooker of the year 2020. And I think back over that year and we, we were caught off guard by it. And in some ways, even today, I think we're still scarred by some of it. And I think about if it was the first Sunday of 2020 and we had any clue at all what we were going to face the rest of that year and for the next couple of years after that, how we would have done some things differently from the beginning, how we would have tried to prepare ourselves in some ways for what we would face. We would have set ground rules for ourselves so that we wouldn't have gotten lost in all of the chaos and we wouldn't, maybe we wouldn't have been hurt by people that we thought we knew and loved and maybe that we wouldn't hurt other people in the same way. We would have had some rules for ourselves. Now, I've thought about our series we did on the Ten Commandments, and one of the things I walked away from that series just latched onto is the idea that rules enable relationships. You remember that? Rules enable relationships, and that was God's heart in giving the law. And not knowing any idea what 2024 is going to hold for us, I, surely a big mix of good and bad. And I saw in the news, there's going to be a presidential election. Did you know that? <laughs> Sounds like fun. It's going to be great. Not knowing what's going to happen this year, I thought it'd be good for us to start the year talking about some rules for relationships, some things that would enable us to have Christ-honoring relationships throughout our church and everywhere that we have influence in this world. And so what I want to do is start this year a little different. I want to spend the next five weeks holding up in front of you some culture codes, five culture codes for Legacy Church. And one of the things I know about our church is I've seen this in us, I've seen it in myself a lot of times we are so scattered out all over this area, we will define ourselves more about what we're not than what we are. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, well, we're not like that. We're more like, I don't know, but we're not like that. What I want to do is I want to create some ground rules, some things that we might sink our teeth into and really believe in that define who we are and seek to be as a church as we move into a new year. And these five things are things that our staff has known about and they have, we've talked about and they, they try to embody these things. We don't do it perfectly, but we love these things. They're things that last year I shared with our worship team throughout the year and they've been chewing on these things. And I wanted to hold them up in front of you this year and ask you to buy into them, to believe in them and to adopt them in your life. Five things that we'll look at. We'll look at pastoring is greater than presenting, that humility is greater than rightness. And I'll unpack these each week. We're not going to do them all today. Uh, that presence is greater than preference. I'll make sense of these. That clarity equals kindness. And I want to learn with you how to have grace without compromising our convictions. That both of those things can exist 
within us. And we'll go one by one over the next five weeks. But today I want to focus on the first one, pastoring is greater than presenting. I want to show you what I mean by that and what the difference is between those two things and why it really should matter to every one of us that pastoring is greater than presenting. But let me, let me just have us pray one more time. This is really important stuff for the life of our church. I want to pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive this, and we'd understand together what it is that God's calling us to. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we, we come in this new year with measures of expectation and hope, but also a little bit of preparedness for the worst because we've seen things. We've, it's our, not our first time around. And God, I pray that you would do a work in your church beginning today. Holy Spirit, would you bind us together? Would you create beautiful unity in your church around some manners, the manners of Christ, the manners that we see depicted in, in you, Jesus, as you came and you walked among us? And would you bind our hearts up in those things in such a way that we would be transformed by them, that we would carry them out and we'd live by them in this world? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, you may never find a professional sports team that has a sheep as their mascot. Some of you are thinking of rams, and they've got big horns. I'm talking about sheep, right? Some of you have traveled around the world, and you've seen currency in different countries. You probably won't ever find a coin or a dollar bill that has a sheep on it, depicting the power and the prosperity of that nation. It just You don't see that. If you're wanting to protect your private property, usually you don't get a sheep to go out and bark at intruders. You don't find a fence with a sign on it that says, beware of sheep, attack lambs behind this wall. One of my favorite movies growing up was Rambo. There's not a movie called Lambo, and there's a reason for that. I had to get it in, right? Sheep are known to be docile. They're known to be weak-minded. They, they are driven by the herd, by the packs. They'll follow movement of each other in any direction. If there's movement of sheep this way, they'll all go that way right off a cliff because they're not known to be the smartest or the strongest. But something you also ought to know is that when the Bible goes to talk about, describe what we are like, a lot of times it uses the analogy of you and I being like sheep, Right? And the reason this is important, I want you to hear this, is because when I talk about pastoring is greater than presenting, what I'm talking about is shepherding people is so much more important than performing well or presenting ideas, just transferring information to people, that pastoring equals shepherding. And the Bible has a lot to say about shepherds, shepherding, and sheep. Though for a lot of us who live in this area, that, that illustration or that metaphor falls a little short because we don't live on the farm unless you are really driving in from somewhere. We, we, we're not farmers or sheep herders. We're not shepherds, and that's just not a part of our culture. But when the Bible talks about shepherds and sheep thousands of years ago, that was very much a part of their culture. I think about Job, who that book of the Bible is probably the earliest book of the Bible written, and at the end of it, it says that Job had an estimated 14,000 sheep. So he would understand if, if someone said that people are like sheep and there are shepherds. Uh, Solomon, one time when he wanted to have this like massive grand sacrifice in the temple to the Lord, in one moment, in one day, they sacrificed 120,000 sheep in the temple. And all I can think is that's really gross and messy. Like I would not want to be in the temple on, on that day. But he would understand something of sheep. We know Moses, when he left Egypt before he returned to demand you let God's people go, Moses went to Midian and what did he do? 
He was a sheep herder. He was a shepherd. He knew what it meant to have sheep and to be a shepherd. We think about David before he was king, before he went out to the front lines where the battle was taking place and he faced Goliath. He was, where was he? He was in the fields tending his father's sheep. So in their culture, this word picture made a lot of sense. And in fact, when when we look at it today, we can look at Psalm 100 and, and see this. I want you to know the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. We are his people. And then it says, we, his people, are the sheep of his pasture. And we start to begin to imagine ourselves in that way, and we can move quickly to the beautiful line in Psalm 23 where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And there's this thing in us that can go, okay, maybe I can get on board with being a sheep if there's a shepherd to take care of me like this. And God's people are are called throughout the scriptures again and again on repeat, the flock of God. In 1 Peter 5, 2, we're the flock of God. And it's comforting to be that if we know that there is a good shepherd watching over us and taking care of us. But we have to begin to accept some things deep inside of who we are and how we view ourselves and life to really appreciate this. And one thing we have to understand is that sheep are not always seen in the best light. When the prophet Isaiah wanted to try to describe what we are like and what we need in Isaiah 53, he said, we are all like sheep who have gone astray, yeah, and each of us has just gone off his own way, and we've caused a lot of trouble for ourselves and on the people around us, right? And he says that because that's what sheep are like, and it's what we're like. We're prone to wander around. We're prone to get off the right path. We're prone to get in danger. And, and I read a, a philosophy pastor, uh, a professor who said that the very existence of sheep themselves is evidence against evolution because there's no way that they ever could have survived throughout time on their own. They take constant care and constant nourishment, constant provision, constant direction, constant guidance, constant everything, or else they just would, they would die, would have died off you know, forever ago. And some of you, maybe you've read the, the book by uh, Philip Keller. He's a shepherd who wrote a book looking at the sheep metaphors throughout the Bible and giving his own perspective. He wrote this, it's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. (laughs) This is going to hurt a little bit. Get ready. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, we get that one. Our fears and timidity, check. Our stubbornness and stupidity, okay, ease up a little bit. Our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. The first thing that we have to accept to really appreciate what the Bible talks about with sheep and shepherds is that this is our true state. This is our natural state. This is, this is what we are. We are like sheep who really need a good shepherd to care for us. And the quality of the life of the sheep is dependent on the quality of the shepherd that is guiding us, which is the second thing we have to accept. It's that not every shepherd is a good shepherd. I think you know that. I think you've probably experienced that in your own life. That Not just that, but those who claim to be shepherds or those who aspire to be shepherds or those who say, just listen to me and I'll take care of you. They don't always do you right. right? We know that, that not every shepherd is a, a good shepherd. Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Remember Ezekiel, anybody? 
Ezekiel railed against the the religious leaders, the leaders of Israel. He called them shameful shepherds who were worthy of judgment. And he promised the people that one day God himself would step in and he would guide and lead and shepherd and care for his people. And that promise was a messianic promise. It was a promise saying that one day I will send the one who will save you, who will rescue you, who will care for you, who will love you, who will guide you, who will save you. I will send the good shepherd. And the reality is that ultimately Jesus is that. He is our good shepherd, right? He's called the great shepherd in one passage. He's called the true shepherd. He's called the chief shepherd. And in John 10, he says of himself, he claims it. He goes, it's me. I am the good shepherd. And that's the passage I really want to look at this morning. If you grab your Bible, turn to John chapter 10. John 10, I think, is one of the most beloved passages throughout the whole Bible. People I love sitting in the teaching where Jesus says, let me tell you who I am. I am the good shepherd. But it's one of these passages where if we read it out of context, if we read it in isolation, it's a good passage. But if we read it in its context, it becomes a really great passage. And I I want you to see that John 10 is a part of the same story in the same context as John chapter 9. Here's John 9. John 9, Jesus heals a man who is blind. He could not see. Jesus heals him. Now he can see. People knew about this guy. They knew he was the blind guy that hung around here. And so they all began talking and creating a commotion. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, called in this formerly blind guy, and they're looking at him. And you can imagine, just picture like all the Pharisees sitting up here, and they're talking, and they're powerful, and, and they, they hold all the power in the community. And this guy down here who's been a beggar his whole life because he's blind, he can't work, he depends on everyone for everything, is standing there, and they're arguing about him in front of him. They're going, this isn't the guy. It can't be the guy. Well, it looks like the guy, well, but, but it can't be because he can see, and the other guy couldn't see. And he's standing here, and he just goes, hey, hey, guys, it's me. It's me. I was blind, but I met Jesus, and Jesus healed me, and now I can see, and everything's different. And then they turn to each other, and they start arguing again. Well, I don't know if it's him. Could it be him? I don't know. And they start arguing about doctrine and about the nature of Jesus, which is what religious people love to do, and they're doing it in front of this guy. And this guy is standing there while religious leaders argue about doctrine, and finally they turn back to him, And they say, okay, okay, tell us again, what happened to you? And this guy, I love this guy. He's so bold. He's like nobody, but he looks at these people of power. He goes, look, I told you what happened and you didn't want to hear it. You want me to tell you again? What are you trying to be Jesus's disciples too? And like, I'm going, this guy's my hero. I love him. And this, of course, creates like all this anger in the religious leaders. And so they start popping off and yelling insults at him. And they tell him, you get out of here. And as he goes, he's walking out. He's like, you guys are absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I was blind. And even I can see things about Jesus that you just refuse to see. And so they kick him out of the synagogue. And Jesus goes to him. And he says, guy, listen. Don't you worry about those guys. I know they seem scary, and I know they feel like they, it looks like they have all their stuff together, but they're not shepherds, not at all. I'm the good shepherd, 
and I'm gonna die for you. I'm gonna give everything for you. They don't know you. They weaseled their way into their positions and they are so full of themselves and trying to perform and put on these presentations for people, but they're not shepherds. I am the good shepherd and I know you and I love you and I came to you. I came for you. I'm gonna give my life for you. You listen to them and their words will lead you nowhere. In fact, we'll see in the text, they're gonna lead you to destruction, but listen to my words. My, my words give life and life abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And then he lays out in John 10, this, this contrast. It's just a part of the same story. The end of chapter nine, this guy is worshiping Jesus and some of the Pharisees are overhearing all of this. And they, they say to Jesus, do you think that we're blind? And Jesus goes, yes, actually I do. And then he goes into contrasting this idea of what it means to shepherd or to pastor versus to just perform or present well. And that's where we are in John 10. Listen to this in John 10, verse one. Jesus said these words, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up in some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but they'll flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, these Pharisees listening, right? But they didn't understand what things he was, being, he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I'm the door. And if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd is not the owner of the sheep. When he sees a wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. These are the words that Jesus spoke, right? This isn't some guy with a book and an idea. These are the words that the son of God spoke in this moment defining some things about the character and the manner of God. And, and there's so many things that I will not say about this passage today. There's just a lot. And you need to go and like read it and really chew on it this week because there's so much meat on the bone. What I want you to hear today, what I want you to see, is that some of the people who are listening to Jesus say this when he said it out loud in front of a crowd of people were Pharisees, maybe some who had been there yelling at the guy and kicking him out of the synagogue, but it says Pharisees at the end of chapter nine were there, religious leaders, their direct reports who were always following Jesus around and going back and telling them, you know, this is what Jesus said and this is what Jesus did. They were there and these are the very people that Jesus is contrasting his life and his ministry against their life and their ministry. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And these who claim to be shepherds and are supposed to, in a way, be shepherding, stewarding the people of God and the will of God. They're just bad at it. They're so full of presenting a front. They don't even see it. 
And so what I want to do, is I'm going to move super quick, and I just want to do a running commentary and let you see the, the difference between the, the Pharisees and these religious leaders and Jesus as the good shepherd. Here's four things that makes them bad shepherds, the Pharisees. First, in verse 1, it says their approach is wrong. Their approach to get to the sheep, their approach to the position of shepherd, their approach to the sheep pen, the very kingdom of God, is wrong because they haven't entered through the door. It says they tried to get in other ways. Imagine them trying to climb over the walls of the sheep pen to get out or to get in there. Who climbs over the wall to sneak in except for what he says is thieves and robbers? Because they don't come in the right way, the way God has called them to, the way of God. They are like thieves and robbers. They're not there to give life. They're there to take. That's what they look like because they don't come in the right way. The second thing he says that's wrong is that there's no relationship at the heart of their ministry. He says they're like strangers to the sheep. The sheep can't follow them because they don't really even know them. There's no heart. There's no love at the center of this relationship. And it makes me wonder for this formerly blind guy as he's standing in front of him and he's just encountered the good shepherd, the true shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus. It makes me wonder if that contrast has something to do with why he was so bold with them at that moment. This is a guy who had spent his life dependent on everyone. You, if you're blind and you don't, you're not able to take care of yourself, you don't want to tick people off, right? This guy had never known what it meant to be bold or to be strong, but he had encountered Christ, and now he's standing in front of these guys who are supposed to be so good and so powerful, and he looks at them and goes, look, I don't know who you are, and you don't know me, and it's obvious you don't care about me or what's happened, and you don't even care about the truth. And so after he's been led by the true shepherd, he has no interest in being led by these, what Jesus calls thieves and robbers. Third thing that makes them bad shepherds, this is verse 1, verse 8, and verse 10. They haven't submitted to Jesus. They haven't surrendered to him, so they join in the work of the enemy. Let me tell you what I mean here. He, he talks about them not coming through the door in verse 1. Again, in verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9, he says, I am the door. Did you see that? If you're in your Bible, you might circle that. Jesus says, I am the door. And I had to do a little research. Again, I don't live on the farm. Shepherds and sheep are pretty foreign to me. But I tried to understand what does Jesus mean that he is the door. And the picture is this. If you could imagine a sheep pen built of rocks or of wood that's expansive and big. It's there to keep out wolves and, and predators of some kind. But in the doorway, there wasn't a physical door, but rather the shepherd would lay across the doorway. That way, if a sheep wanted to try to get in or out, they had to go through the life over the body of the shepherd to do so. And if someone wanted to come into the sheep pen, they had to come through the life and through the body of the shepherd who is the door. Otherwise, the shepherd is there to know you belong in and you are a wolf and not allowed in. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So Jesus says, I am the door and these haven't come through me to try to shepherd the people. All who came before me, these are thieves and robbers. They're trying to get in over the walls. They're weaseling their way into their positions and they are not doing this in the way that God has designed. And for that reason, the work that they do, really the implication is it's more in line with the work of the father of lies from John chapter 8 than it is the work of the father of, of the people of God, our heavenly father. He, he says that the words that they say will lead to destruction, not give life. That's the contrast in verse 10. The things that they do are more like robbers. They're not building up, but they're taking away from people. 
And because they haven't surrendered to Jesus, the work that they do is more in line with the enemy's work. It will be. The fourth thing that makes them bad shepherds is verse 12. He says, their concern is for themselves. Jesus said they act like hired hands. There is no commitment. There's no conviction. There is no faithfulness to the sheep. There's just, I'm here to do a job, but if, if I'm bored or if there's danger or I don't like the situation, I'm out, man. I'm, this is not worth it to me. And he says they're, they're not faithful shepherds because they're only approaching it as a position of power or a position that, that gives them some kind of wealth or gives them something to do, but they're not committed. I'm careful how I say this, but the phrase church hurt has become all too common. I, I hear it all the time. I hear a lot of folks coming to our church and their story begins with church hurt. I've experienced church hurt out there. And in some ways, we're all going to experience that because churches are people, right? They're not buildings and, and people are not perfect, right? And so we all have a tendency to sometimes hurt one another. So there's a sense at which we're all going to experience that to some degree, but I just feel like so much, whether we're talking about it more or it's just increased, more and more people are experiencing church hurt. And I think that some of it comes because a lot of Christians and leaders and pastors who should be shepherding like a good shepherd are acting a little more like dogs biting and barking and running around the flock. And their care is for themselves, their concern is for themselves and not for the sheep. And I, I'm under the microscope as I say this. I know this. I'm staring in a mirror and evaluating myself. Their care and concern is for their agenda and their platform and their position and the presentation of their ideas more than it is for the flock. I've got good news, and the good news is Jesus responds to that by saying, I'm the good shepherd. And my concern is for my flock. And, and I want to just lift off the page five marks of what makes Jesus so good to be a shepherd. It makes me want to be his sheep. The first is this, the shepherd knows his sheep. And I know there's a lot of words on the screen right now, but, but if you look at verse three, he calls his own sheep by name. He knows them intimately, right? The sheep follow him because they know his voice. I know my own in verse 14 and my own know me. That's like the cry of our souls from the moment that we're born. It's to have intimacy and trust. That's what a baby wants from their parent from the very moment they're born is to have intimacy and to have trust. It's not even something you think about. It's just something that you need within you. And maybe you got it from your, your parents and your family of origin, or maybe you didn't get it from them. But for all of your days and all of your life, your soul is crying out for intimacy and connection to know and be known and to have someone to trust who will care for you as you are. And Jesus says, that's me. The good shepherd knows his sheep. Second, the good shepherd leads his sheep. In verse three, he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And it takes me back to that picture in Psalm 23 when the Lord is my shepherd. He brings me to, to, to uh, quiet waters and to green pastures and he leads me on paths of righteousness. A lot of people think that Jesus is too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Do you know what I mean by that? It's all about these spiritual sayings and thoughts and feelings, but, but what does that have to do with my job and, and taxes and politics and real life stuff? 
He says, I'll lead my sheep in the way that they should go. He's very concerned about our days here and now and what we say and how we live and, and what we experience and what we're doing with these days. The good shepherd leads his sheep. He also feeds his sheep in verse nine. He says, uh, they will go in and out and they will find pasture. He takes them to give them every provision that they need. He ensures that what will nourish them will be provided for them. The good shepherd feeds his sheep. The fourth thing, the shepherd, good shepherd gathers his sheep. I love verse 16 because it, it's about us not just the Israelites who would come under Jesus, but it includes the Gentiles. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them in. They will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Isn't that good news? He gathers his sheep. The fifth thing, and this is the most important one, the good shepherd, he doesn't say just cares for the sheep. He says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's so much more, isn't it? If I go, hey, I care for you, or I go, I'm willing to die for you, right? That's a big deal. Here, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He is absolutely redefining for his hearers what it means to shepherd the people of God because the the Israelites had known the prophets to be shepherds of the people of God. They had known the kings of Israel to be the shepherds of the people of God. They, they had accepted the Pharisees in some way to be shepherds of the people of God. And Jesus is saying, let me show you what it really means to be a shepherd. It means you die for your sheep. And five times here, he says it over and over and over. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17 and 18. He says, I'll lay down my life. He's saying, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna give everything for you. And we know from Romans 5 that this is how Jesus demonstrated his love towards us. While we were still sinners, while we were still outside of the flock of God, Jesus died for us. That's what he's talking about. That's the kind of love that he has for us. That's the kind of care and concern he has for the flock of God. And what I love here is this phrase, lay down his life, is what makes him so worthy to be a shepherd. It's the thing that makes it okay for me to be a sheep. I don't want to be a sheep. (laughs) But if I have a shepherd who lays down his life for me, that's something I can get on board with. And this phrase, I thought about it more and more this week, and it hit me that this is a phrase that Jesus would use again. He doesn't just use it about himself. We're in John 15. Before Jesus is crucified, he's talking to his disciples. He's preparing them. He talks about, abide in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Remember he says that? He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says that. He says, I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be full. Remember that? Then Jesus says, I love this. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he defines it. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Same phrase, isn't it? I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Greater love, command to my disciples. Greater love has no man than this. Love people in the same way that I have loved you. Lay down your life for others. Jesus is called the good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep. And the shocking thing is that he calls us to the same kind of life. That our concern would be for the people that God has placed in front of us, that we have influence over, that we share space and life with, that we would love them in the same way that he has loved us. Pastoring like this is manifested in God. It's modeled in Jesus, and it's motivated by his love. 
and, and for us to have a culture as a church that's not about presenting ideas and performing well, performance-oriented community, but to have a church that is surrounded by the idea or built around the idea of pastoring one another. We have to lead and feed and guide and know and protect and lay down our lives for each other. And that should mark our community in every way. And I love how how this is such a beautiful picture in John 10 of, of, of that, of pastoring is greater than presenting. But here's the most important thing that you need to know about John 10. Like I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to come up and say, look, pastoring is greater than presenting. Let's just do what Jesus did in John 10. Let's just, that's the script. That's the five chapters of, of Jesus's book on leadership. Lead like Jesus in John 10. But here's the amazing thing is the, the passage in John 10 is not about how to be a good shepherd. It's about the good shepherd it's about how to be his good sheep. You see that? Jesus didn't say to the Pharisees or to the formerly blind man, he didn't say, this is how you go and be a good shepherd. That's not his point. Now you can look at the rest of the New Testament and see that, yeah, we should become more and more like Christ in our manner, in our way. You can say that. But the point that Jesus is making here is I am the good shepherd. And this is the relationship I give to my sheep. The passage is about being his sheep. That's important because I, it's easy for me to forget that I'm sheep. That's who I am. I remember when I was first called to be the pastor of Legacy. I'd come, some of you are here, I came. It's such a weird experience. You preach in view of a call. That's the language. But really, like you're, I don't know if it's an audition. It's weird. You come and you preach, and then afterwards they vote, and it's like American Idol or something. And then it's like anti-everything that feels right. But that's the way it works and in, in, all over. But I remember later that day, I got the call and it was, hey, we want to invite you to come and be the pastor. And I got to tell you guys, there was this like almost physical experience that I had in that moment, still on the phone. It felt like someone laid a suit of armor on me, like a, like chain mail, heavy weights sitting on top of my body. I felt it. That's the way I described it to my friends then. It's like something heavy just settled on me and it didn't feel like uh, this is a heaviness that you shouldn't have put on, but it felt like, Kevin, you need to take this seriously. This is a weight that you should bear with great soberness and great humility. And that feeling has never left me, not once. Take this seriously, bear it with soberness and humility. But the reality is this, even if I wasn't your pastor, I would be leading somewhere. That's just it's in my DNA. It's in my nature. I, I, there's hardly a time I ever go into a room and I'm not looking at what needs to be done and how do you fix it? And how do I help? Or, or, you know, how do I take over? That's, let's be honest. That's what you're thinking, right? And some of my leading here is teaching and some is building budgets. And sometimes when a microphone is broken, then I go to Anthony and say, I don't know how to fix a microphone. Can you fix it? I have no idea what to do. But the reality is like everywhere I go, I'm looking to lead. And because of that, it's so easy to forget that the call of John 10 is just to be his sheep. It's not to be successful or charismatic or, or funny or, or, or you know, the, the best of this. or the be It's just to be his sheep. It's to be his sheep, to embrace it fully. That's my identity. I'm in sheep of, in need of a shepherd, and I have the good shepherd, and he knows me, and he's gathered me up, and he feeds me, and he guides me, and he's given his life for me, and he protects me. And out of that experience of being his sheep, then I get to enjoy 
pouring out of that experience on other people. And he has placed people in my life to help shepherd me, people who are carrying out the ministry of Jesus in my life, who pastor my heart and pastor my mind, and I need to trust their leadership. They know me, they call me by name, and I trust them when they say, this is the way of Christ. And I wanna trust them and embrace that relationship. And he's called me to pour my life out here with you and with others to to share with you the love of Christ, the knowing and the gathering and the feeding and those things. And here's the the really amazing thing is that you share in that call as well. It's it's a different in application. You're you're not going, I want to come and pastor the church. But because we have that John 5, or sorry, 15, 12, and 13, go and love in the same way that I've loved. And because we have the one another statements of the New Testament, we know we're to teach one another and to uh, admonish and to exhort and to bear up one another and to instruct and to love and to care and to sacrifice for one another. And so we're all to be shepherding one another in that sense. Do you get that? But it doesn't come from a leadership book. And it doesn't come from a manual on how to grow a church and how to have the best culture around. Here's five steps. It comes from fully receiving the identity of I'm a sheep in need of a shepherd and fully receiving Jesus as that shepherd. Delighting in that relationship, knowing and being known, being vulnerable and honest with each other even about who we are and what our soul's needs are. And from that place, we enjoy the shepherding of the good shepherd in and through our lives. Here's the the challenge I've got for you today. It's for you to ask and to answer this question. Am I willing to be pastored? Because I find a lot of people have no interest in being pastored. You don't want to be vulnerable enough to really be known. Like we like to hide. We love to hide. We love to suppress and repress things in our lives. We don't want to be out there and be known. It seems scary and dangerous. I'm willing to be vulnerable enough to be known. People don't want to be told what to do. Like we just don't trust leaders anymore. We don't. I mean, I'm with you. I don't trust leaders. I don't trust me. You kidding me? I know me. We don't want to be pastored. We don't want to have people to tell us where, where to go and what to do. We're in the age of personal autonomy. But I want to know, are you willing to be pastored? First by the Lord. And what that means is that like, you have to have a relationship with him. You have to know Jesus. You spend time in his word. You, you, you pray. You pray. You, cultivate, you build, you receive relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then the things that you hear God saying, you don't go, "Mm, that's good. That's nice. I like that. But you go, Lord, may it be so in my life. Change me. You do what he says. I'm willing to be pastored by, by the people God has placed in your life to shepherd you by me, by other pastors, by life group leaders, by people who God has placed in your life to carry out the ministry of Christ through the body of Christ. Are you willing to be known by them? Are you willing to make yourself vulnerable and that your soul's needs would be open to them so that they might minister to you? Are you willing to be pastored? And are you willing to join in that ministry, that kind of ministry that's not about five steps to success, but it's about opening your life up that the love of Christ would flow through the body of Christ and that we would know the joy, the joy of being sheep of the good shepherd. Are you willing to commit yourself to that? To commit yourself to this church, to say, I'm a member of Legacy Church, so I belong 
here. I belong to you, and I belong to you, and I belong to you, and I belong to you. My life is intertwined with your life, and you're not people I see on occasion and, and make small talk with over donuts. No, you are my people. I belong to you, and you belong to me, and I will, sacri- I will lay down my life for you. And I'm trusting the Lord has brought you to lay down your life for me, for his glory. Man, what a, what a thing it would be if we could fully embrace that. To embrace and cultivate a culture of pastoring over presenting. And so many uh, of us get caught up in these shallow expressions of faith that are it's like content creators and social influencers. I tell you, when COVID happened, I remember going home and my job and the other pastors, our jobs changed a little bit. It was strange. It was like, we went from, oh, we're with people and we pastor people and we're to everyone's pulled apart. We go, what do we do? Well, they're so anxious and there's so much craziness in the world. We need to put more content in front of them. And so some of you remember every day at 10 a.m., go on Facebook Live and one of us is there and like Kirk would be gardening. He's like, hi, friends. Planting flowers here and the goodness of the Lord is with me, you know? Brandon would tell bad jokes. I mean, dad jokes. Said that wrong, you know? Uh, Justin would have like candles burning and, and say something profound. Dustin would play guitar with short shorts and people, kids running around behind. Like, <laughs> it's what we did. And when we came back and tried to re-engage life in a way, I don't know that we realized how much of that just got into our our rhythms. And in a way, I went from being a pastor to a content creator. And there was a time that we had to look at each other and we had to recognize that and it had to be redirected and we had to be recommissioned. And so that's what this morning's about as we begin a new year. It's about recognizing and redirecting and recommissioning our lives as a church that we wouldn't be swept into some empty expression of faith. It's more about social influence and my platform, just giving you what I think, but rather that we would love the idea of pastoring. And if you want to know what I care about and what I want, this is it. (laughs) My, My desire is to pastor you, to shepherd you. My hope, my hope is to know you and be known by you, that we would share life together. Right? And that I, my hope is that I'd be found faithful by the Lord to walk in his manner, with the manners of Jesus. And if that's not what you're looking for here, I don't know why you're coming to church. <laughs> I, I don't know what a person's looking for in church if it's not to have a, a shared life where we are pointed again and again to the good shepherd who brings healing. What a place of love and joy. What a people of love and joy. What an anchor in, in storms of life if we would love pastoring, commit our lives to it over just presenting ideas. So I leave you with a question and then we'll pray. Are you willing to be pastored? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that I pray that I'm found faithful in passing on these words about yourself, about your nature, and the implied invitation that you're giving to all who would be your sheep of what we might find in you. I pray that we would know you as the good shepherd, that everyone here would know you not just as a name or a religious figure, but as the good shepherd of their souls. 
And for every place that I fall short today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make these words alive and true in the hearts and the minds of the women and men and children in this room. Would you continue speaking as we leave today and as we move into life? Would you continue speaking the words and the promises and the beauty of John 10 over our lives? Help us to chew on them in such a way that you're transforming us by it. Help us to rest in the good shepherd. Find life in the good shepherd. Freedom from pretending that we're better than we are. Freedom from trying to fit and improve ourselves in this life. To embrace sheep of a good shepherd. And I may you this year just, oh Lord, would you just transform the nature and the culture of our church that more and more and more this would, would be what we're known for. Oh, Legacy Church, yeah, I know them. God, they really love people. It seems like they really care. They love Jesus. And they just, when I talk to them, they just care about me. I can't, can't miss it. Would you do a work in us for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.